This is Paul Siegel. You're listening to Wandering DMs. Wandering DMs is broadcast live at 1 p.m. Eastern on twitch.tv slash wanderingdms and youtube.com slash wanderingdms slash live. And now, on with the show. Hi everyone, welcome to Wandering DMs. I'm Paul. And I'm Dan, and today on Wandering DMs, we're going to be talking about the legacy of digital tools for Dungeons and Dragons, like from Wizards of the Coast or possibly other firms. Maybe you're old enough, maybe you've played D&D long enough that you remember things like the AD&D core rules or the CD of uh, character generation software that came with the third edition hardcover books or other things like that. And we'll be talking about where we think wizards might go in the future with those kinds of things, all that and more today on Wandering DMs. But before we get into that, let me just remind everyone that immediately after the show at 2 p.m. Eastern, we will be going over to our Discord server for a private after-party chat uh, with all of our patrons on our on our Discord. If you would like to join us for that, all you have to do is become a patron, which you can do at patreon.com slash wanderingdms. Yeah, one of our favorite parts of the week. So, um, you know, we've we've touched on this a couple times on the show, Paul, and I thought it would be nice to uh, take a take a relaxed uh, chat about this subject in particular. And of course, it's something fairly close to us because, as we've said a couple times, Paul and I met when we were in gaming software, um, and so we're we're both we're both you know coders and software people, and so we track and have you know, brushed up against these projects, frankly, a couple of times. Um, and I don't know if I've, I've said it, but, you know, I was actually um, at one point uh, was interviewing to be on the team for uh, Dungeons and Dragons online some number of years ago. Um, and uh, as usual, came in second. In a strong <laughs> second is what I was told strong from the hiring second. manager. Thanks. Um, you know, Dan, I want to point out uh, to our viewers, of course, as as um, as uh, men with uh, with hammers, every problem looks like a nail. Uh, you and I have have both uh, applied our ability to write software to our gaming needs as well, right? We've both written custom software for for running or or prepping work for D anD. d We're certainly no yeah. no strangers to all of the parts of the life cycle of doing that. You know, we, you know, we, we, we do that. And obviously Paul and I both have, uh, you know, various tools, uh, particularly for original D&D. And hey, look, why was this on my mind? It's because I was, I was fiddling with uh, code on Roll20 uh, a couple days ago <clears throat> and last night and the day before that. Um, and I'll probably have an announcement about that probably in a week or so. Um, and you know it's interesting, Paul. Like I think a lot of folks, I mean, maybe of our particular gaming generation, we get started in software specifically mm -hmm. to make tools for our gaming, and it's kind of an, an interesting, fairly generous starting point. Of I want to, you know, automatically roll some dice. How do I do that? That's just a line of code or two. I want to yeah. create some character abilities. You can do that in a couple lines of code. It doesn't take a lot of complicated graphics. It doesn't take a lot of complicated media. 
And for many of us, it's been a very nice entry point into how do you do anything with a programming language, frankly. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm certainly uh, the type of person to, who I say uh, learns by doing. And I've definitely, um, you know, wanted to learn more about a specific programming language or a specific tool and come at that with the, well, what can I make with it? I know I need this thing for my D&D game. This seems like a good use for this. Let me go do that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Let me throw yeah. up a, a comment from Hobo Ogre here, which I, I couldn't sympathize with more. Our, our viewer Hobo Ogre is saying, I've lost count of how many NPC party rollers I've written over the decades. Mm -hmm. Me too. Mm -hmm. I totally yeah. feel that, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah then I'll, I'll, I'll point out there is even a Wandering DMs um, account on uh, GitHub. I think we make that joke at the end of every uh, <laughs> of, of every episode. Uh, it's kind of a joke, but it's true, actually. GitHub slash Wandering DMs does exist, and even wondering now, maybe I should get some of my projects up on there. Um, looking at some of the stuff I've made in the past, like my Geomorph Painter and my OED Character mm -hmm. Generator, this might be nice to chuck up in GitHub. I would, and I would course, like to see that. Yeah, the moment I do that, of course, I'm sure. Uh, uh, I'll discover all kinds of bugs in them and then have to spend a bunch of time fixing them because that is how software goes. Don't pay attention to it for a little while. Bit rot sets in. <laughs> I, I, boy, you know, it's interesting. I, I uh, you know, because sometimes I make my own, now we're talking about this. Now, you know, I make my own <laughs> tools just for me and it's one thing and actually, you know, um, working with Roll20 for the first time, like, oh, crap, this is being publicly released. And it actually did cross my mind that I think I might have accidentally broken like a legacy thing because I'm just not used to thinking about data being out in the wild that I need to mm -hmm. play nice with because I'm just accustomed to, you know, renaming variable names to be more readable and stuff like that. And then I was like, oops, I, mm, I don't know how many people are using that, but I might have just broken yeah. something yeah. for an Maintain arbitrarily large number of people. Maintaining my software is a job, right? And that's, um, yes. and it's interesting, right? right? The reason we're coming at this, I think, is that uh, with a lot of the news about the new edition of D&D, one of the big ticket items is that they're writing their own virtual tabletop using Unreal, which is uh, uh, you know, for generally uh, a tool that's used for high-end video game development. You know, AAA video games, such as the one I'm working on in my day job right now, uh, use Unreal, and uh, that's interesting, right? And and but they're also they're signing themselves up for building this thing that's going to require maintenance and is going to require updates and is going to you know eat a lot of resources from Wizards of the Coast, you know. So it makes sense that they're also thinking about how are we going to pay for this, right? How do we how do we monetize, right? Oh no, D and D is under monetized. Let's fix that, uh, right. right. And, uh, and, I, I, and we won't go deep into that topic and cut us off right there. That's <laughs> or will we? I or will we? just point out that there was a note from Bank of America last week that said, we feel that Wizards of the Coast is over monetized, that they have pushed the they have pushed their customer base too mm. much into overly expensive products in both Magic the Gathering and D&D, &D, and they've burned a lot of goodwill. So Bank of America thinks it's over monetized, which I thought was a really Bank interesting type to use that exact word. Bank of America's weighing in on this? Why? Yes, yes. <laughs> Why? Okay. Well, I mean, they've burned like $150 million in the last year or something like that. So um, yeah, I mean, you know. All right, all right, all right. All right, well, let's, let's
let's let's narrow in. Let's talk about the software, Dan. That's that's what we're here for. You and I are software experts. We're D and D experts. Let's talk about D and D software. <laughs> I um, what's the earliest? Uh, and of course, you know, it's on our mind because Wizards has, a, I'll say, an interesting track record with yeah. uh, software mm-hmm. tools intended to support D and D. What's the earliest? What's the earliest like official or commercial product that you can think of? To, to see my, my, my head always goes to the uh, gold box DM's assistant, uh, which I'm sure I ran on some old DOS boxes. Um, was that made by SSI? I, I assume it, it had at least the same trade dress as the games, right? But it was a kind of, um, you know, it was very text driven. It would do things like generate encounters or generate um, characters. Not a lot, frankly. It did do a lot. <laughs> <laughs> in retrospect, I mostly my strongest memory of it. Holy cow! I'm just so going to age myself here. My strongest memory of it was running it to generate encounters. So it prints would create a stat block, like your standard AD and D stat block. Printing that out in my on my dot matrix printer, and yep. like cutting them out so I could paste them onto the handwritten notes I had for a whatever adventure I was working on, and then and then have one one single document that looks at least slightly formatted like a real module. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Totally feel that. Yeah. As even even aside, at the time, I think not, not clever enough at that time to have figured out like word processing software or anything like that. Like literally, I remember handwritten, like, you know, college rule paper notes about the locations and then like a, a glued on <laughs> mm-hmm. cut out from a dot matrix printout of a snap block. Yeah. Oh, boy. I feel it. As, as an aside, I will say that, you know, of course, TSR's uh, science fiction game that was, you know, published at the time, Star Frontiers, its, uh, you know, in-game dress was to have the in-game documents actually appear to be written on dot matrix printers, because, of course, that's what computers and technology look like at the time. So if you are making material for Star Frontiers, you have to go and now you have to make facsimiles of dot matrix printers so that it looks like the futuristic stuff in star frontiers oh dear oh dear (laughs) (laughs) okay okay (laughs) but uh, it's interesting because i haven't used the gold box uh dm's assistant but i think that i accidentally have it because as some viewers know, I have been on um, the Elder Times uh, stream, which I have been on hiatus. It's coming back this next week. Uh, spoiler alert. Um, uh, I have been playing through the Pool of Radiance game, which is part of a gold box collection that appeared on Steam for the first time last year. And when you get that, you get a whole bunch of titles. Um, and I think that I actually might have that DM's assistant in my gold box collection on steam by accident and i haven't had time to open it up or look at it but i think i actually have it on my steam account right now that's hilarious that is absolutely hilarious um i don't know that's i mean it's not a game (laughs) yeah but it did kind of look like one right like it did kind of look like one because it was in the same dress it was definitely um Sorry, I'm trying to uh, trying to get an image of a Yeah, me too. Uh, but it, it clearly. Um, there we go. There we go. There you go. 
definitely there made by go. SSI. So yep. yeah. And look at that. Note, note that it was called Volume One Encounters, right? They clearly had, they had aspirations for more. Clearly, Didn't this might be a theme for today's show, Paul. <laughs> oh dear. Uh, one to ten, how useful uh, this, the 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 Volume One of that was for you? I give it a three. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> did you so you never used it dan no i haven't no i haven't no. Yeah. that what it was able to do was very limited and it yeah. didn't have the integration with other software that one expects hell i was going to say today but even like 30 years ago it doesn't right. have that level of integration right it would right. produce this raw text that you could maybe copy paste into something maybe i guess but it was hard right because it was all dos based I'd get information from one one application to another was not trivial. Right. Like I said, I was right. literally, you know, kind of doing the super analog method of printing it out and cutting it out with scissors and gluing it in with tape. I mean, tape gluing it in with glue, rather. And and just like, eh, you know, it was, <laughs> it was, uh, no, it, was, it wasn't great. It was Interesting. Great. Generate your own encounters um, for the AD&D tabletop play. Over a thousand separate encounters provided. Right. So it would roll, it would roll on the tables and it would generate the stat block, right? So it was a nice, it was at least doing a lot of the cross referencing stuff for you, right? right? Especially if like you wanted to like generate a fairly complex encounter with treasure and et cetera, it would do all this, you know, had all the tables from AD&D built in and you just, you know, plunk, 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 roll this table, this table, this table, and it would spit some stuff out. Interesting. Yeah, not bad, right? I will point out that also, that is a product, right, not directly from, you know, at the time, TSR was the company that made D&D. So from, from SSI, not directly managed by TSR. Really? Now, now I'm wondering what the business connection was, because as I'm saying that out loud, in order for it to be able to do all the things I just said, obviously, it had to have some of the content of D&D encoded into it, right, which has mm -hmm. always been an issue. Right and <laughs> right, how how much of the content of D and D can I, as a third party, include in this ancillary product? Well, um, I'm sure. So obviously, you know, they they license that from TSR, and obviously SSI had the relationship for the other gold box stuff. So I'm sure that was pretty um, yeah. clear path to I mean, to, to licensing that. You'll note the text on the right of this image here says over a thousand monsters and and characters, including all right. monsters from the official AD&D Monster Manual and Monster Manual 2. Not Fiendfolio. What about the Fiendfolio? <laughs> what about the Fiendfolio? Where's, where's, where's my flump and my uh, Gezerai? Nope, nope. Huh? What? Huh? So oh, my, you know, my question on this is I wonder where the, the, the idea for that product was born. Like, you know, yeah. I'm assuming that someone at you know, SSI came up with the idea for particular games was was someone at SSI saying, you know, this would be, I would love to have like an encounter generator. Can we get a product for that? Or was it TSR you know, saying you know, the, the same thing? Here's my instinct. This is total, this is pure speculation on my part. Everyone, this is not a true story. What I'm going to tell you is a thing that I'm just making up in my head right now. But here's how I bet this went. I bet you someone made a version of this that was maybe a little clunkier but did the job for their own campaign they probably worked at ssi or something like that right and then and and at some point somebody said hey we could sell this hey this is <laughs> we could have made this into a product 
I would not be surprised if that was somewhat like they're like, well, we did all the freaking data entry for the games. So we have yeah, right. all that data. Yes. Uh, yes. I made these tables. I made this little UI yes. just so I could use it for my home D&D game. Why yes. not package it up and sell it? Now, I'm a guy who actually is in favor of engineer-driven development. I feel like that observation that Paul just uttered of like, we already have this data, we already have these tools to create encounters in the games. We are approximately one week away from an actual product we could release. That's an observation that pretty much you've, you, you need to be on the engineering side to have that of like, what is a simple, what is a simple feature that we can add or a simple product we can create from our current resources? And I tend to feel in the, in the, in the modern era of designer-driven uh, uh, development that things are a lot less efficient because of that. Okay, Dan's axe being ground there. Thank you. Thank you, everybody. For <laughs> yeah, let me, let me ask you. Let me, let, me, let me push us forward a little bit here. What's, what's the first software you remember using for... Okay, for great. You're making... I, I hadn't thought about this in my prep, but you're, you're with the Goldbox. You're making me go backwards a little bit and say that, I mean, I, I think I'm going to count this, is prior to, um, you know, prior to that kind of product, if you go back in Dragon Magazine, right, uh, it did provide uh, a, a tool, a software tool um, that provided similar assistance to create characters or monsters. But this is prior, obviously prior to the internet, and it's prior to um, delivering, uh, it's prior to software on CDs. So what you got at one point was a code listing of several pages of basic code in Dragon Magazine that you, the reader, would have to sit down and type into your basic computer. Um, uh, I think it was called DMs Familiar. Um, pretty sure it's called DMs Familiar, and it was like a code listing. And it, at the time, you know, there were whole uh, magazines of uh, basic programs, basic games that were delivered in magazine form that you'd have to type in was a common thing at one point. And I uh, was delighted to see uh, DMs familiar, and I absolutely um, entered the code onto my TRS-80 color computer uh, and used it a little bit. And I think a little bit after that, uh, Dragon Magazine came out with an editorial policy and said, we will never do this again. Please stop <laughs> sending us basic code in your, in your article submissions. Uh, we don't want to see this in the magazine anymore. We don't want to see the magazine turn into this. We will never do this again. Fascinating. Fascinating. Well, good, good for them for drawing that line. Got to have your boundary. Yep. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> but it was there at one point. Mm, 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 mm. So, um, so past that, uh, my, uh, I guess the first thing I saw as a commercially delivered product was um, the, the second edition of AD&D had a product called the, uh, the CD-ROM Core Rules. Hmm. And I know that's the name because I'm holding it right here. Um, <laughs> so the CD-ROM Core Rules, which is kind of at the era of, I think, the shift from first to second edition. So they don't, they don't actually say first or second edition on it. But uh, what you have here on this CD, and again, not uh internal to tsr um uh this is from a company called dragon bite software uh what is the 
1996 is what I see here, 1996. And so what this has is it does have um, digital versions of, like it says, digital versions of all the core rules, player's handbook, DM's guide, monster manual, other second edition supplements are on here. I think in RTF form, rich text format files. Right? Ah, so not PDFs or anything like is. that. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and so, you know, you can, you can, you can text search it, you can, you can load it up. Um, and then it also has uh, a number of software tools like you would expect to create uh, characters and encounters and treasures and all that kind of stuff, which I thought was, was pretty neat. Even though I didn't play second edition, that stuff was compelling enough that I got this yeah. uh, saying to myself, well, I can make encounters and they're, you know, second edition's close enough for monsters and I can massage it. And then they also had, I, th I thought the thing that enthused, made me the most enthusiastic is it's got a, a dungeon mapper and it has oh, really? a, I would say very simple dungeon mapper and you can, you can draw grids and you've got icons and stuff like that. You can tag, you can link, uh, the encounters that you make to particular places on the map could be a dungeon, could be the wilderness, uh, things like that. And then, and I don't think I've ever seen this since, they gave you a 3D walkthrough of it. So you is could this, actually, you these, could actually. Are these things, Dan, that we have uh, screenshots of? Uh, in, I do. In the so those are the, if you pull up the, uh, the, the dungeon image that comes from uh, the, the, these core rules, right? So that's the kind of image. Uh, that's the kind of dungeon that you could uh, map out there with mm -hmm. uh, the, the icons and stuff like that that I did. Um, I know that's, that's kind of a, a part of a famous dungeon. I don't know if anybody recognizes that or not. <laughs> I will say there's a couple of secret doors that enter this area that are not shown currently. And then the oh. um, the image kind of with the same color, with the three D, uh, same kind of yes. And then yeah. here's a three D walkthrough of an area that you might make. This I guess this is a, a temple I made in that mapper. Very very simple, but you can uh, you know grid based, but you can kind of walk through. And I thought for you know a very simple uh, point was interesting to give me a perspective of like how high is the ceiling and how how wide is it and what could you see from a particular point and at least and so again it seemed like like a starting point and i was very enthusiastic about where this could take us next um for for this kind of work uh but there wasn't you know there wasn't any follow up yeah i find it fascinating that the that the um, I don't know how much the thrust of the product is this, but that it includes, you know, digital versions of the actual rules, because I feel like that's a thing that uh, the business side of the company will always struggle with, right? Because, it, yes, you can see the value of having a computer automate and make easier tasks for uh, people using using your product, the game in general. Um, but in order to automate stuff, you need to have a digitized version. So now you're now you're including digitized versions of the actual what you see as the core product, right? The, the books. And at what point does that just take over? And it's no longer supplementary, but is the entirety, right? Like if I fast forward to modern day and say, you forgive me, Dan, for not going purely linear in our time progression here. When you get to the case of um, of uh, I was going to say DM's Guild, that's not right. Um, uh, d, &D Beyond. Oh, probably. my d, d Beyond. Thank you. Wow. Yeah. Green was blanking on that name. Uh, when you get to the, the state of D&D Beyond, right, you have, like, one of the core things they're selling there is access to the rule books, 
which then are available in searchable, you know, hyperlinked format and, and, you know, um, become available in the automation tools such as the character sheet and et cetera. And I'm certain, and I, I know this for a fact because I played with them, there are people who are buying the rules only in this way. who don't own the real books and they just bought them digitally in order to either use the, them in a digital format or to use them uh, as input for their, their automated tools like, like the character sheet. And that's fascinating. Yeah, it's, right? yeah, I agree. I agree. I mean, more and more, we're relying on devices to do things for us, right? Like, um, oh gosh, I just, I just went to a museum this weekend, and I literally, my ticket was on my phone, and the person collecting the tickets had a phone, and they just phoned a phone. Bloop, yep, got your ticket. Okay, in you go. Yeah. And I was like, yeah, we're getting to the point where, you know, that there's an expectation that people are have these devices, and that these devices are our entry point to content, products, whatever. Um, and I'm sure wizards must be must have their eye on the idea that someday maybe there won't be print books. Right, right. We brush up against that from time to time, and obviously, I have like a sense of existential terror over that possibility. Um, this 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 era that we're in of the idea of books possibly becoming hmm, that's like. You know, who was it, Cicero, that said uh, a room without books is like a body without a soul? Um, and and we're now in this era where the whole idea of print matter might possibly maybe go away. And I mean, I got to admit, if I pull open the monster manual, I probably 98% of the time am looking for a particular monster. I might as well just look at that one thing uh, rather yeah, than, yeah. you know, browse, browse through yeah. a bunch of pages that I don't really need or right, a class right. or a spell most of the time right. is a particular thing. I might as well just pull it right up. Um, it's it's an, a really interesting way and an interesting comment on how we interact with rules for games like this, right? Like that, the, that maybe we're moving towards a point where the idea that you would just sit down and consume the entirety of the rules from one end to the other is just ludicrous. And that really what you want is a more referency kind of entry point of like, well, I want to know about this one thing. And then there are hyperlinks or whatever. There's ways to easily navigate to the next thing. Okay, right. I've got my entry for this red dragon that the players are fighting. Oh, he's got this magic item. I'll click on that, get its description. I'm not reading the rules end to end. I'm just reading the chunks I need right now. Yeah, there's. I, I will say there's two. Mm, I, I don't know problematic areas that that I could point to. Is one, it 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 you know it bothers me that the idea. Should I be bothered by this? Probably not. Uh, <laughs> it bothers me that the idea of a wizard getting information from a from a book, you know, mm. very rapidly becomes more archaic than it used to be. It, it used to be like <laughs> wizards get information from books and we get our rules from books and we are in this same kind of mental zone. And within the time that I've been playing D&D, that the, the, the gulf between, you know, what's, what's happening in game and what we're actually doing at the table is growing rapidly wider and wider. Um, it, didn't, it didn't used to be that, that crazy of an idea that you get your information from a book. And secondly... And it's funny because this came up in a game that I was playing on Friday that I feel is the capacity, you know, as stuff becomes, I don't know, digitized, the limit on how much stuff can be in a body of work, it, you know, goes away. You know, why, why have 
Why limit yourself to 128 pages of content? Why not 200 or 500 or 1,000 or 2,000 if you're just pulling up one thing at a time? And the capacity for the DM to be on top of all that goes away. So I think that many of us have had the experience whereby the DM is not, I mean, I don't know what your power is. You tell me. It's what are you, you know, what are you, what are you doing? You tell, I'm, I'm depending on the players to tell me what their powers are because I don't, I can't be relied on to know what it is anymore in, in modern type games. Whereas at one point the DM was the, you know, was the source. So that's I'm, an interesting I'm, transition. I can't help them, but imagine as you're talking about, you know, the disconnect between wizards getting their arcane knowledge through books and how that's disconnected from us. I'm imagining a game setting where we play and wizards have like a magic little rectangular rock that they keep in their pocket that has all their spells in it. And they just kind of tap on it and it sends the information to their brain. And and the fact is it the, the rock doesn't even actually have all of the spells in it. It's just connected to a network of other rocks. Maybe, maybe maybe I, I can place a curse on you, Dan, to turn your yeah. your 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 stone blue and make it inert, and it'd be like the blue stone of death spell. And now you're now Cuss. you're now you're a little. <laughs> I can force you to reboot your three stones, Paul. Uh, thanks. I hate it. Let me let me throw up William's comment, which is which is just Chef's kiss. Uh, so William here said, now we are emulating warlocks stuck in some Fostium subscription with an entity that will only tell us just enough info to keep us hooked. Yes, perfect. Perfect. I love it. I love it. <laughs> oh, no. I don't uh, know. That is be fun. Scary. Okay. Yeah. Shut up. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. So, Dan, give me, let me, let me, let me get us back to... Uh, yeah. the, the CD ROM you were just showing us for the second edition era, uh, D&D tools, you use them for your games. One to ten, how useful was it? Well, that's interesting. Okay. Uh, interface clunky. Interface yeah. super clunky. Uh, click, 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 and things show up in weird places. And, you know, uh, of course, they thought, I get this is probably pre-Clippy, but they, you know, by default, they have a little animated wizard in the corner of all the screens. Oh, it looks like you want to create a character. Would you like a fighter or a cleric or a wizard? Oh, right. God. And it and this the CD is spinning to load the audio for the next thing, and he glitches and oh, I would like to perhaps you would like to click over here for the oh, thing. God, and no. you know, the first oh, thing you no. find is where can I shut off the damn wizard helper that's slowing everything down? And yep. the buttons are very small and hard to click. Um, frankly, you know that that dungeon creator is a thing that I that I used most prominently. I was very excited about that. Um, overall, two. <laughs> Worse than I'd the like DMs. <laughs> yeah. okay. Overall, two. I, I was happy to have the digital books. I was enthusiastic about the possibilities of the dungeon creator, and I pretty much didn't use the rest of it. All right, let me jump us forward. Let me get us more. You know, we're we're halfway through the show here. We got to at least get into uh, you know, right. <laughs> let us at least get. What's next? Get us third in. edition? Are we up to third edition now? Uh, yeah, yeah. So Dan, you and I were both playing a second edition game when third edition came mm -hmm, out. Mm -hmm. We converted that game over to third edition. I yeah. remember us all buying the books together and all mm -hmm. being surprised to discover in the back uh, a CD, right? A CD in the back there. What is that? Right, Paul? Holy shit! There, you're right. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Oh my there god, you're right. Yeah. <laughs> Great. Super useful. 
Now, now that computers no longer have CD-ROM drives, mm, it's questionable, but okay, sure. <laughs> yep. And this gave you this Java-based character generator, which we're looking at the screen of for here. And I played with this. Right. And, and the interesting right. thing was, I believe this, again, this is third-party software, right? Even though it came mm -hmm. with the book, Wizards was selling mm -hmm. it. Uh, yep. This was third-party software, and my my recollection was that it wasn't even specific to actually to D&D. You could get rule sets for other games in there, right? Am I misremembering really? that? Or am I... Oh, I don't recall No, that. I'm misremembering that. This is the same era that I was using something called PC Gen, maybe? Yes. I feel like, right. you know, yeah. and everything was Java-based, right? Everything was Java-based at this point, so that's probably why I'm conflating them. Really? I was using something called PC Gen, and I think I was compar comparing this character generator yeah. to PC Gen. Um, yeah. I don't even recall. Yeah. I wasn't aware. I wasn't recall that this was was Java based. Um, I believe it was. I believe it was. Anyway, regardless. Uh, okay, so we have this. We have this character generator. Make make your third edition D and D characters. Did you use it? Okay. Uh, now this is very highly prominent. Very prominent on the disc that it that it says uh, demonstration version one right? Demo demo version one So it, this is very you know uh, marked as this is just a starter. It's just a taste, right? There'll be so much more later on, and of course it, this is only a character generator. Um, so you We're can right make back to the DMs assisted volume one encounters here. Yeah. Volume one, yeah, there's yeah. more common. And, and if I recall correctly, it only makes first level characters for third edition D&D. Yeah. &D. You can't make higher level characters. And unlike the core rules or other stuff, uh, there's no monsters, there's no encounters. Uh, I don't think it has lists of spells. Uh, it's just a demo for initial first level characters with the promise from the fluid company that this is just the start and there'll be so much more interesting stuff later on. We're gonna have maps and encounters and dungeons and creators and spells and treasures and all kinds of stuff uh, that you would want <clears throat> and higher level characters at some point. I don't think ever that ever existed. Am I right? Uh, it, no, I don't think. Yeah. So once again, tantalizing, and I would say, you know, uh, compared to the second edition uh, product, uh, the, the interface was much nicer. Actually, th I remember actually having a good time clicking on the buttons. <laughs> so, so compared to the, the second edition stuff, it was, it was actually a very satisfying, nice interface. I feel like somebody cared about it. Um, and it was, for what it did, it was, it was a very nice job of making a first level third edition character. And it was, it was a pleasure to use. And once again, I thought I was kind of enthusiastic about the possibility uh, of this demo and was looking forward to being you know, built out and possibly something more useful. We actually were playing third edition at this point, and uh, I, don't, I don't think it went anywhere. No, I, I mean, my, my recollection of it was that it was, it was terrible. I remember it being really difficult to use. And uh, I remember very quickly, and this is why, probably why I conflated in my head with, um, with PC Gen, mm -hmm. because at the time I was like, PC Gen is just better. Let's just use that. Um, and I did. Uh, and still, even then, even, even despite, despite that comment, I will say PC Gen, uh, which was you know, just a character generator, did the same things, but it was generic, and you could get rule sets for different RPGs. Um, also clunky. Also, was it really better than just getting out the, you know, pencil and paper? Mm. Mm, not sure. Not sure. 
so I think this is still, in my opinion, let's see, if I was going to 1 to 10 this character generator, I would give it a 4. I'm going to be generous and give it a 4. I, for what it did, I mean, you know, modulo what it did, I think I might be more generous and actually give it an eight. Um, an eight? It was, Holy crap. Yeah, it was, it was, a, I, I, it was a pleasure to use. I, I would say, I would generally say it's a pleasure to use, but granted that it just makes first level characters and nothing else. That's a very limited, <clears throat> that's a very okay. limited feature set. Ah. Uh. Well, <laughs> I feel like somebody somebody cared about it and then had their budget cut is what it is what it feels like. Well, I was I was trying to dig up an Im a last minute image here, Dan, for this same era, but I'm um, having a little problem here uh, with our file share. But anyway, um, I, I, the other thing I want to bring up from this era that we don't have an image of is I used a, a program uh, called Dungeni. Remember Dungeni? <laughs> I remember that. Also Java-based. Also Java-based, because this okay. is the era of okay. Java-based tools for some reason. Um, and uh, Dungini was a, a, a mapper, right? It was the idea of you can make your battle maps with this. And the thing was, the thing about Dungini was that the icons or whatnot, the artwork that you could use to build your maps out of was really nice. Like it was like high-end, uh, kind of, you know, almost photorealistic 3D stuff that you could put into place. I mean, it was still ultimately 2D artwork, but it was drawn to look very 3D and very pretty. Um, and it could make gorgeous maps. And, and, and my problem with it was it could. You, like, no mapping tool have I discovered has ever been so good that it replaces the ability to, the, the need for the user to still have some artistic talent. Say that. <laughs> and that, um, that uh, it's, um, you know, and ultimately the output was a battle mat, which how often do you use that, right? I mean, I guess third edition is pretty miniatures based, but, um, mm. you know, if you'd rather just do theater of the mind, who needs it? Yeah, makes sense. I think sense. Um, now, now that I'm talking about this, Dan, I'm wondering, am I, am I going against the spirit of this show here by talking about third party tools that were never really endorsed or... Because uh, we could go deep down that that well, I think, and I think we have talked about this. I mean, I think it's an interesting about how Wizards presents their tools. I feel it's an interesting thread to compare um, the the quality and the feature set of third party tools to the the official um, products that have the the D and D logo licensed by you know TSR Wizards. Um, like generally speaking, I mean, if you if, as a as a as an initial approximation, which one do you think is which which side do you think usually makes the better product? Oh, it's for sure, it's the third parties, right? Like that's this is why I get to like right. I right. prefer PC Gen to the character generator that came in third edition. Um, mappers, I was looking at Dungeni for battle maps. I was also using uh, a tool by Enbo Software called Fractal Mapper for your high level, yes. you know, world maps. That was a great tool. Mm -hmm. I really remember enjoying that a lot. Um, so, eh, um, yeah, I feel like, and and then I'll point out like the the thing that jumps out to me. I'm kind of skipping ahead, Dan, but where you where you got twenty minutes left in the show? Yeah, yeah, go right ahead. Ultimately, we get to D and D Beyond, mm -hmm. which, frankly, um, I think is really good software. Right when you're if you're playing fifth edition D and D, 
Uh, I have played um, rarely, let me say rarely, with a physical paper character sheet. Far more often, I've got a tablet or a phone with D&D Beyond out, uh, and I'm running it through that, because I think it is actually very good software. Also, until recently, third party. <laughs> right? <laughs> someone, someone built that, and it was it's great. It's fantastic. And it's got, it's not just, not just for the character generation, but for all the automation of the rules, right? Like it, it because fifth edition has s- such deep rule mechanics, it's nice to have them there on clickable buttons to remind you, do this, do this, or track these dice or whatever, track these abilities, right. etc. right? It's, it's really leaning into the usefulness of using a computer for this stuff, where I feel like in older editions, the character generator you were using in third edition, ultimately, you were just going to print that out onto a piece of paper and bring that with you, right? Sure. You were, right? Whereas with D&D Beyond, you want that running. You want that running in front of you on a device, and you're going to use that and not, not export it to another format. Agreed. Agreed. That seems like a big transition. And I'm, you know, there, there's parts of this story that I'm a little hazy on because it, it uh, matches up with uh, eras where I wasn't playing mainline d and uh, I'm not entirely sure it was available for fourth edition. I have the, I have the sense that a number of these, you know, official tools we've talked about were started by an outside, you know, were contracted by an outside company. And then at some point, TSR Wizards moved the licensee or brought it in-house and thereby destroyed it. So I think at least I think at least two or three times in their history, they've taken things like the fluid character generator. I believe they, they brought that in-house and said, we're going to manage this ourselves and wound up just burning it to the ground, I think. Yeah. yeah. Feel free. Someone should go check my check sources on, on my very vague recollection. So here we are with D&D Beyond, and clearly the people that were making it clearly cared about it, clearly cared about players. Um, you know, the, the, the founder, I believe, is, has departed at this point. Um, and was it just last year that, uh, that Wizards bought D&D Beyond? Or was it's it a year before recent, that? Pretty recent. I think it was pretty yeah. recent. 2022, maybe? Maybe one, of our, maybe one of our viewers knows and can let us know in chat when, when that happened. But yeah, it's pretty recent. Um, you know, and then, and then, you know, <laughs> um, there's a, there's a comment here in the, in the chat about, uh, BTTs and using World 20. Um, of course, when the, when I was really using D&D Beyond, at first I was using it at the table on a tablet just to do the character sheet and we we're still in person. Mm-hmm. Pandemic comes along, suddenly online tools become way more important. And then I was running... Uh, Roll twenty for my virtual tabletop with a plugin that let me use D and D Beyond on the side, and that was really perfect for our needs at that time. Um, we could get into like all the virtual tabletops, but I, I don't want to go down that road, Dan, because we we have a separate mm-hmm. show about virtual tabletops. Yep. There are lots of them. Yep. Yes, do your research, check it out. It is very interesting that Wizards is now trying to develop in conjunction with their new edition of D and D a custom virtual tabletop in-house that they're building alongside. So in theory, it comes out at the same time as the rules. That's fascinating. Right. And that is called, I believe that they're currently calling it Dungeons and Dragons Digital, I think is what they're calling it. Uh, And Paul, like you said, the top of the show, they're basing that on the Unreal Engine, 
um, that uh, that you work with professionally. Uh, how no, how makes... so it makes feasible... sense to me because because yeah. I've been I've visited the uh, which is the coast headquarters a couple of times uh, on behalf of video game companies that were working on video games that use dot licensed D and D content. And when you walk in there, sure, there are sections of the building that are devoted to Dungeons and Dragons and Magic the Gathering. But the parts of the building I went to were about their video game development arms, which are quite big and involved. They have a lot of engineers on staff. They're building a lot of stuff, right? Yes, okay. they, yes they, they also license their content out to third-party developers to make video games, but they're also building stuff internally. And so it just makes sense to me that, like, you've got the staff with this skill set, why wouldn't you use them, right? Why not use them to okay. build something like this? Okay. I, I feel like, I mean, so we've been at a company, right, that did 2D game. Let's, let's, I mean, again, we were at Genetic Anomalies that, that prominently did, uh, you know, collectible card games online. Great. And the, mm, the, the people, when, when I first came there, they said, well, we have these great engineers. We have these great engineers. We can make a 3D massively multiplayer online game. No problem. It'll be easy. We have, you know, we have so-and-so. He's got a PhD in 3D graphics. It'll be easy. I mean, that, no, no, <laughs> right? Not even I mean, close. We didn't, didn't have the staff even remotely close to do something like that. And the, the the people that were saying that just fundamentally didn't know what the what a leap it was to a fully 3D game. Um, oh, could you pull up? Okay, so our 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 acquaintance Janelle J. Quays that we've had one of our favorite guests we've had on the past had a really long analysis of this. I think a month or two ago, um, she posted this on Facebook. And so, Paul, if you could pull up that giant block of text, I'm not going to read all of it. Oh, oh but, sure, sure, sure. Uh, I've got a link okay. in the description to this show on YouTube that you can go and see Janelle's very, very detailed analysis of uh, Wizards' prospects for this. And, um, of course, this, this was tied into them updating the OGL. We've talked about that a bunch of times. And so it's interesting that Janelle was focusing on this aspect when a lot of us weren't actually. Mm -hmm. And so Janelle um, reflects that she was working with id Software at one point to develop, uh, you know, game resources for what they were doing and remembers that um, uh, this was a point where, where id was transitioning to a new graphics engine, a new fully 3D graphics engine from their two and a half D like sprite bait stuff. So um, she remembers previous iterations of id games had been done in the time frame of a year or less with with a, with a double handful of developers but with this transition this is above the red box here it took many years and a massive increase in staff for it to finish and ship doom 3 with that new 3d graphics engine um and it was also ultimately not well suited for making other games because it was so detailed you had to you had to make particular scenes and particular software just for these scenes and encounters and so um, Janelle's uh, take here is I see Watsi management right now going down that same path, creating the same bespoke 3D game spaces that simulate what can be created by a game moderator and graph paper and then be described with words of wonder during play as a non-trivial task requiring the talents of a team just to create a single play space 
Ask anyone who's worked on 3D game worlds, and I suspect they'll back me up. Level designers, 3D artists, texture artists, lighting specialists, special effects artists uh, all contribute to the process. And for each bespoke space, bespoke attention is required or it all ends up looking the same. So Janelle's take is that she's seen this at other companies and she suspects the task is what much more than uh, people at Wizards would would probably expect. And I've seen that at companies that I've been at. Yeah, you know, you know what I'm what I'm reminded here of is uh, another another use case maybe uh, of of a of a digital tool for role playing, which is I remember when um, Neverwinter Nights came out. I'm talking about the more the, the problem, of course, with video games is they keep reusing the names. But I'm talking about the version that was uh uh you know uh, uh, <clears throat> when did that come out? Maybe mid two thousands. Um, that was um. Was it Bioware? Probably did that of a of a kind of three D or or a two and a half D game, um, you know, based on 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 the D and D license. Anyway, point being that they were as it was coming out, they were really pumping out that they had this idea of a of a DM version where one player could take on the role of the DM and control the world, and they had all these tools to help with that. Right, all these tools for you know, you can make your own levels and you can and you can go into DM mode and you can spawn monsters and you can like, you know, actually interact with the players as a DM, but in this digital space instead of in a physical space. And I remember being very excited about that. I thought that was amazing. Uh, I really wanted to, to dig into it. And the fact is, it's, it's not impossible, frankly, to certainly to run an, uh, a kind of seat of the pants off the cuff game using those tools. Yes, you could script and level design like you were uh, any video game level designer. You can make content ahead of time. I remember even somebody at some point translating all of Pool of Radiance into this engine. So you can play the entire game of, the, of Pool of Radiance uh, in, in the Neverwinter Nights engine instead of uh, the original Goldbox version. So yes, you can pre-create all that stuff. But to do stuff on the fly... That it was just monumental. That it was just way too fidgety for a a, hu a single human to to be able to just drop things in and be like, I want a tavern, and I and I need a I need a couple of orc bandits out the window, and I need uh, this that right and the other, and it just it just like it slowed everything to a crawl, right? And it was way worse than playing at a at a table. <laughs> way worse, I will say. It's funny because yeah. it echoes. I mean, and and I, I mean, you know, that's kind of the promise. You know, I, I've used Roll Twenty more than any other virtual tabletop, and it's, it's a little bit of the promise there. They have a large, you know, library of icons and things like that. And I, I have the same feeling as if I attempted to populate this, you know, on an ad hoc improvisational basis in game, it would slow down to a crawl. And it kind of echoes. Um, Gygax in, um, I think, the first edition text um, or, or answering a question about it of, do you use miniatures or not? And his response is, well, if you have pre-made, he might have used the word bespoke, if you have pre-made encounters and scenarios and you can collect the miniatures in advance, it's a wonderful spectacle. But if you're running a freewheeling improvisational you know, uh, uh, random chart game, then it, you, you're not going to be able to have all the different miniatures for those things. And you're better off playing what we'd say theater of the mind and describing them like that. So it's funny, the same 
you know, the more the more spectacular that you get, the more you have to do that advance that advanced footwork. And that's exactly what Jake Ways is talking about, actually. Fascinating. That's, that's yeah. yeah, and we are rapidly running out of time. Let me throw up two comments from the viewers that yeah. I think are just really spectacular um, that, that we didn't touch on. So one of them here in the last couple of minutes is from Kevin Thompson. And Kevin Thompson is saying, well, digital D&D is a tool, but will never replace books, paper, and pen for me. My great grandkids will be able to read my character sheets from this era. That's actually a good point. And, you know, I, I personally have worked on video games that can't be run anymore. That there isn't any, there isn't any emulator and there isn't any operating system that can run these major, you know, projects that I worked on at one point. And so, you know, as someone that cares about the legacy, uh, I personally get hurt by that. And it's interesting that if everything does transition to digital, there will be these books from early editions that will possibly last, you know, centuries when the digital tools, if they continue to evolve, will just be vaporware, <clears throat> will just be inaccessible it, it, due to bit rot. It's an excellent point. I mean, I've, I've yes. bought uh, old DX uh, box sets uh, through, you know, resellers and had them show up and open them up to find an old character sheet in it, right? And, and it's, it's exciting. I, yeah. I find, I love that, like, oh my gosh, look, somebody's old character sheet probably from the early 80s. Awesome. <laughs> Still I use, agree. could use it if I really wanted I to. And the other thing that, that I thought was really insightful is there's a comment here uh, a little while back from uh, viewer Jeff DeWitt. Um, and Jeff said, the main problem I have with digital tools is that they short circuit gaming system knowledge. Uh, no problem using the tools, but you, the referee, are going to be less, uh, less able to master the system, I think is what Jeff is saying. And so uh, Jeff posted this around the point where Paul and I were talking about uh, how nice it is to pull up the one monster and not have to leave through the whole book or the whole class. And, you know, Paul uh, mentioned um, how nice it is to put to, that uh, D and, the D&D Beyond system would remind you about all the details in fifth edition that you might possibly forget about. But once, I, I got to agree with Jeff, once that release valve is there well why not just make the character classes arbitrarily complicated why not you know take it to a point where it's not even humanly possible to uh master all that stuff because the software tool is just going to throw it up in your face anyway um and i i i really agree with jeff that um you know the the capacity for the dm to be master of the world uh kind of erodes over time as that expectation goes away I feel that. Yeah, that's a that's a real issue, right? It's ultimately yeah. at what point do the automation tools that we're building uh, in software kind of become the tail that wags the dog, right? And yeah. and and drive the development of the game. That's unfortunate. I mean, you know what Socrates said, right? Socrates was against writing. He said that it would make the young <laughs> people less intelligent and be less able to memorize uh, the old epics. And and deliver them orally, and of course Socrates was right. <laughs> That's a true statement. Yep, yep, you're right. You're... <laughs> we're All still right. grappling with yep. that here in the 21st century. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Awesome, <laughs> awesome. Um, Dan, any any final thoughts on um, on 
digital tools or the future of uh, of the of the game evolving into a digital medium. I agree with many of the viewers that I'm wildly curious how this gets played out. The um, the, the 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 history suggests that the the risk is very large and the chances of wizard succeeding is probably fairly low um now i know they've brought a whole bunch of microsoft people in the last year or two and you know paul's observation about having a lot of engineers on site already is interesting um so you know everything in the world is totally impossible up until the day where it happens so maybe this will be the time. Maybe they have the right staff and the right plans. Their, you know, their treatment of the OGL in the you know last month is not a good sign. <clears throat> not a good sign at all. So if I if I had to bet, I'd have to bet that it it might likely not be successful. Um, but if I'm wrong, that'll be a fascinating story. It's an adventure. Um, so this is a ridiculous analogy for you, but over the weekend I was talking to somebody about uh, Domino's. We happen to be uh, not not the game, but the uh, mm -hmm. food delivery. Um, so uh, do I enjoy Domino's? Uh, I have a nostalgic place for it. Uh, I will eat it on occasion. Do I consider it pizza? No, no, I do not. <laughs> it is its own separate thing. That's you'll notice. I did never say Domino's pizza. There's Domino's. <laughs> And there's pizza, and they are two different things, and I can enjoy them both in their own way. Uh, very similarly, I'm very curious to see where the new edition of D and D goes and how it evolves into a into a digital setting. And I'm really curious to see digital RPGs as a concept. And I want to know, like, not just what Wizards is doing, but who else is pushing the envelope and sort of, you know, uh, bringing role playing as an activity into a digital space and really using the tools in a way that's interesting and expands the concept. On the other hand, I'm very pleased to have a cardboard box that has my favorite edition of D&D &D in it, and, and it can hold all the things I need. And so when there's a complete power outage and no internet, I can still open that box and we can still sit down and play the game that I yeah. love. I'm also and and I, I'm also reminded by I think it's a line from uh, the original Karate Kid movie I believe delivered delivered by Mr Miyagi the the one, someone remind me who the actor is and I'm so embarrassed I don't remember who the who the wonderful wonderful talented actor is uh, but I think the line is uh, you can you can walk down the left side of the road and be fine you can walk down the right side of the road and be fine but if you walk down the middle of the road swash like a grape. So I feel <laughs> that there's there's a large danger of wizards trying to do both. Yep. Trying yep. to do both You're might up. be possibly the yep. worst of all worlds. Yep. Uh, Pat Morita uh, is the name Thank of the actor. Thank you. Such uh, a talented actor. There you go. Miss him a lot. Uh, so. Joshua. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yes. Thank you. Um, if uh, viewers, if you have thoughts on role-playing games in a digital medium and uh, where that's going and what doors that opens or what ways it's a it's a terrible violation of the uh, very core of the activity, uh, <laughs> wherever you land on that spectrum, uh, leave us a comment here on the on YouTube. Uh, tell us your thoughts. Uh, maybe that'll spin up a new topic for us down the road. And uh, we'll look forward to that. And of course, remember that you can like, follow, and subscribe to us. We're on YouTube, Twitch, Twitter, Facebook, TikTok, and hey, GitHub! Look, look for our code on GitHub, yes. And we do have the handle Wandering Dams on all those sites. So look for us there, and you'll get updates on upcoming projects. If you prefer to listen to us in audio-only 
podcast format, you can get those podcasts at our website at wanderingdms.com. You can also find them through various podcast carriers like iTunes and Google Podcasts and Spotify and Stitcher. Uh, if you're listening to us right now on one of those carriers and they have the ability to do so, please take a moment to rate and review our show on their site. That helps other users of that site find us, and we really appreciate it. We really do. And thanks to all the uh, the viewers in the great chat today. And, of course, thanks to our patrons who support the show. And if you'd like to join our patrons, please visit patreon.com slash wongernams. And you'll see our different tiers. In particular, uh, access to our Discord server. And we've had a whole bunch of interesting conversations about uh, classic D&D rules. Yesterday, overnight, this morning, uh, the conversation continues. Uh, and I love uh, joining in all that stuff. And uh, Paul and I will also be there for the after chat as we continue the video conversation, about 10 minutes. Um, and um, and we're both looking forward to that. Uh, other thing, some, fo you know, uh, some folks have been asking about when I will get back to Elder Times Gaming. And so what I'm going to do is I'll be back playing more Gold Box Pool of Radiance this week. And I'm going to move that uh, from the prior day to Thursday. So I'll be on Thursday at 8.30 p.m. Um, I'll, I'll alternate weeks. Uh, when uh, Dan Cullen and I are playing Book of War. So last week we played awesome. Book of War and had a giant wizard on wizard, a very fascinating, hard to predict, volatile wizard on wizard battle last Thursday that was awesome and interesting. And then I'll be back with more Pool of Radiance this Thursday. Excellent, excellent. <laughs> you can stop asking everybody. You can stop asking when I'll be back with Pool of Radiance. It's this Thursday at 8.30 PM. Thank you for the interest. <laughs> Awesome. I'm looking oh, forward I'm already, to it. I'm really already angry playing Pool of Radiance. <laughs> <laughs> Eventually, Dan will have to rename that show Dan Plays Pool of Radiance because uh, it's, uh, it's taken some effort. I, Dan Cullen <laughs> on Thursday, he's like, you're still playing that? <laughs> uh, what a great show, everybody. Thanks for tuning in. Uh, don't forget, we are live every Sunday at 1 p.m. Eastern time. So we hope that you'll join us again next week for another thought-provoking discussion. We'll see you then. Bye, everyone. Bye.